Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, I want you to meet the Loudermilk family. This is uh, really three-fifths of the Loudermilk family, okay? Uh, this is David and Sarah Beth and John David, who has the coolest socks in the house today. And then downstairs are Will and uh, Beth Ann in our children's ministry. And so we're grateful that you would spend some time talking to me today at the beginning of our service. Your family um, is an inspiration to many of us. They, the, the Louder Milks joined our congregation about three years ago. Uh, last September would have been three years journey they've been making with us today. And, and I want in this series about sharing our faith, I want you to know that the Louder Milks are sharing their faith by simply doing what they do here every week, like many of you do. They are bearing witness to some things that matter to them. Things that matter. And I want us to talk a little bit about that this morning. But first, I just want to start with one or two simple questions just to get us to know you and let our church know a little bit more about your story. First of all, when you came to JCBC three years ago, tell us that story. Tell us why did you come when you came and why have you stuck around? (laughs) Well, we moved up here about three years ago. And um, when I was going to meet the realtor at our rental house just down the street, I passed by Johns Creek Baptist Church. And I remembered several years before I had met this guy named Glenn Sloan. And uh, he's a pretty cool guy. He's all right. You know, he'll do. We we might try that out. Maybe there's some good piano (laughs) play in there. So we came and visited, and uh, we actually never visited anywhere else. Uh, Okay. Been here since then. So you came and, and stayed. Right never... The minute we walked in, we were welcomed with open arms, and um, people just treated us. I mean, we're so nice, and with the kids, they. Um, I mean, we just couldn't have asked for a, a nicer place. And I mean, we're from a small town, and you know, this is the biggest church we've ever been to. Okay. But I mean, it immediately just felt like a small town church, and we just. I mean, everybody just loved on us and loved on our kids, and we just immediately just felt like home, and we were like, we don't want to go anywhere else. Right, right. And we just, we just stayed here, and All right. we I love hear it. some amens. Can I get a witness? <laughs> okay. Yeah, we don't want you to go anywhere else. No, no. They love yeah. our kids, and yeah. we love them, so... <laughs> Well, you are a blessing to us. I mean, many of you who are involved in our ministry understand the ways that Sarah Beth and David serve among us. I mean, David just was ordained as deacon. He plays the organ from time to time here in our sanctuary. Um, But here's the thing. This is why I wanted to talk to the the three of you. Um, You're raising a family of five in a world that is as busy and as filled with options and opportunities now more filled than maybe ever before. And, uh, and it's hard to raise a family, period. But in the 
cultural context in which we find ourselves, it is easier and easier and easier to just stay at home. To just stay at home. It takes so much work to, to get everybody together and getting bow ties looking right and matching socks and doing the, doing, doing the thing you do. So my question is this. Um, we see you here all the time, every Sunday, and, and rarely with any exception uh, because of something that's driving that, and I want to know what's driving that. Why is it on a Sunday when you could take a powder, stay at home and rest, or do any number of other things, why is it important to you that you get here? Well, I think that this, these moments in worship ground us, first of all, for the rest of our week. Um, but another thought that comes to mind is why would we want to do this life journey alone, not just, uh, not just raising children, but also as a couple? And so for us to be here among those who have walked the road that we're attempting to walk now, that have gone before us, that encourage us along the way, we would miss so much and our children would miss so much. My boys uh, would miss so much from not having Mr. Tony teach them in Sunday mm -hmm. school. And Can I get a witness to that? <laughs> all right, yeah. But you know, Miss Grace and of course Miss Judy and all them loving on Beth Ann when she was a baby. That is such a partnering with us in this parenting process and then when else can we take the time uh, to hear God's word broken uh, for us and, and share it in Sunday school and in preaching but also when can Sarah Beth and I sit together and sing our faith together as we do in worship this it means so much to us that's good so good so uh, John David can I ask you a question mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, you're, this is your church, man. This is your church, and you come, and I see you here all the time. And and two questions for you. First of all, what's what's your favorite thing about church? My favorite thing about church is um, that everybody is nice here. Okay, all right. That's not a bad first thing. That's not a bad thing to be favorite. The other is this. Now you've got friends at school, maybe friends who don't go to church here, and maybe friends who don't go to church at all maybe right and so if you had a chance to tell one of your good friends uh, hey come with me to church I, I want to take you to something really cool what is the one thing that that you would really want them to experience with you when you came here it would be probably Christmas here because it's really fun it is mm -hmm. it is fun at Christmas here yeah, the place looks cool, lights everywhere, music is just so, so great. Okay, so maybe we'll, maybe we'll pray for that and think about a friend that we can invite. That'd be good. I will too. Yeah. Well, so here's one more question um, for you. Just part of this whole series that we've been talking about is about, about sharing your faith. Being a witness begins, begins by remaining awake to the presence and action of God in us. In other words, we say it this way, being awake to what God is up to in us, and letting the conversation start there, not start with some complicated formula. Maybe it gets there eventually, but to start with what about you? What is God up to in you? So let me ask the Loudermilk. So what, what do you think that God has been up to in the Loudermilk family these days? Um, I would say um, for me, it's on Wednesday mornings. Um, coming to the women's Bible study, um, I see my faith growing um, through that and talking with the older moms and, you know, learning from them and um, 
just, uh, you know, just being able to experience different things through that and through Stephanie and, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, growing through that, I feel. What I hear you saying today, and David said it similarly a moment ago, that it seems like you're learning, discovering the value of the mutual need that we have here. Speaking into each other's needs. Mm -hmm. The value of having those who are older speak into your life and and to be a presence for them and this kind of multi-generational strength, really, Mm -hmm. that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's very important. Okay. Anything else? I can see and sense uh, God speaking to John David's heart very quietly in the conversations that we have. Mm. And uh, so I I sense that. And then, of course, being ordained as a deacon today is uh, very it's very moving uh, in my life. And beyond that, I'm having the opportunity to work with uh, four guys in our office. We're reading through together a, a Christian leadership book. And okay. so just sharing our faith together at work through that has okay. been very uplifting. Yeah. So very clearly, and God is present right, and active. Um, and I'm grateful that you would share with us ways that you're aware of it. You know? mm-hmm. um, would you join me in thanking the Louder Milks this morning? Let's, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, shall we? God, in this moment, we, we do give thanks for the Louder Milks and for every single family in this congregation who at every different turn in the journey is attempting to become aware of what you are doing in us and around us. And if I can, in this moment, I just want to pray for us as a family of faith, a body of believers who in this very moment is poised to hear from you, to welcome the power of your spirit among us, to do in us and through us what we could not do on our own. So we open our minds and our hearts to you, Lord, and we pray that your spirit would remove any obstacle that keeps us from you right now. We pray these things in the name of Christ, the Lord of life. Amen. Amen. The single hardest audience that we will ever have in sharing our faith with one another is our family. Yeah. I mean, you might think that sharing your faith with a stranger could be hard, and it can be, or a non-believer would be hard. Yeah, it's got its challenges. Or maybe you think that it would be most difficult to share with someone who is part of another religion, but I'm here to tell you the hardest audience, the most challenging audience is your own family because they've got the goods on you, and mine has the goods on me. I mean, they see us at our high and at our low. They know when we win and when we fail, when we fall flat. They are the truth tellers because they know our secrets. And it can be challenging to attempt, even if we want to, to attempt to articulate faith, lead someone in the family to Christ, when at the same time we're trying to wrap words around this mystery while at the same time they are watching everything that we do to make sure that our actions back up the words that we're speaking. The toughest audience can be the family. And before you go and feel sorry for yourselves, at least you're not a preacher. You have no idea how my family busts my chops almost every Sunday. 
I mean, they are the truth tellers. Because I stand up here and I say some things. I say a lot of things. Don't amen that. Come on. (laughs) I say a lot of things. And then I've got to go home. And if I behave in a way that contradicts things that I've said here, well, then I can do some mighty damage. Family is the hardest audience. Several years ago, I guess really almost seven years ago when I first came here, the first few months of of our time together, after church, after the sermon, I'd stand right down here and I'd talk to you, I'd greet you and and shake your hand. And those first two or three months, you would line up because we wanted to meet each other. You'd line up. There would be a line of folks and you would come up and you would shake my hand and you would say, great sermon, Pastor. Really great sermon. That was before you started telling the truth about my sermons (laughs) and how you feel about my sermons. Back when you used to lie to make me feel better, you say, good sermons, Pastor. And then you would say something like this. We're so happy that God brought your family to be with us. We're so grateful that you're here. We're so thankful that you're with us. Well, that went on for a few consecutive weeks in a row, and I loved it. It was great to to know each other. And Well, one Sunday, I I stood down here, and I noticed that my then sixth grade son, Nathan, was kind of trying to get my attention. And he's like, Dad, I was like, hang on, buddy, just a minute. I'm talking, so grateful to have you, Pastor. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad we could be here, you know. And And finally, he can't really get in. So you know what he does? Nathan goes around and gets in line. (laughs) And then, you know, one at a time, he makes his way up as each of you finish. And he makes his way up to me. And and I say, hey, buddy, what's up? And he says, good sermon, pastor. (laughs) He said, and then he put his hand on my hand. He goes, I'm so happy God brought you here. I said, get out of here. You busting my chops. What are you doing? And since then, every Sunday, I promise you, without, almost without fail, one or both of my sons to this day will come up and find me after church and say, hey, good sermon, Pastor. Good sermon, uh, Reverend. Good sermon, you know. And they're halfway serious and most of the time kidding around. A couple weeks ago, we did the State of the Church Address, and Jackson came up afterwards. Jackson came to me and said, hey, Dad, seriously, no joke. Good sermon. Really good sermon. Uh, predictable, but good. <laughs> I'm like, really? Sometimes I'll go home and I, I need to hear from my wife, and I don't make her, I just, but she knows I'm waiting to hear because nobody's opinion more, matters more on the planet to me than my wife, and I'll go home, and sometimes she'll say, hey, good sermon. That part where you did this thing and you brought in this illustration, that was really good because I got to thinking about this thing. Most of the time she's like that, but I know something has gone wrong when I go home and she says, well, the music was good, I, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> family can be the toughest. So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you are really genuinely wanting to speak into sharing your faith with your family, but you realize, I mean, you've really got to gotta back up what you say. I want to suggest that there may be um, two words that may be the key. In fact, these two words They're not really church words. They're not words you typically hear in a sermon, but you're used to that by now. These two words, if you hang with me for just a minute, I want to suggest if we can understand the power of these two words, it may unlock our ability to think differently about sharing our faith with our family. These two words are congruence and confluence. You might want to write those down. Congruence 
and confluence. Congruence. Congruence simply means when two things match up, when two things are consistent with each other. In, in what we're talking about here in terms of spiritual congruence, it means when your inner life and your outer life sync up. When, when your hidden life and your public life are in sync with one another. In other words, we said it before, what you see is what you get. When your walk matches your talk, and I want to suggest to you there is nothing that can dismantle your witness in the world more than a life of incongruence. Incongruent living. Like the woman who I know, a friend who at 17, she left the faith. And she probably won't return. This surprised everybody. It really shocked everybody because her father was a great pastor. I mean, he was a great leader, and he preached sermons that would stir the soul, inspire you, really good preacher, and then would go home on Sunday afternoons, and most Sunday afternoons would sexually abuse his daughter until slowly and surely her childhood and innocence and faith were destroyed. Nothing can destroy your witness more than saying one thing and doing another. And while I pray that none of us experience, and though many of us have, many know this pain, but while most will not experience that level of pain and that kind of example of living an incongruent life, we all do in a thousand smaller ways. We know what it's like to come to church. Some of us came to church today with a triple-decker church fight sandwich. You know what a triple-decker church fight sandwich is? You put that first layer on in the car when you fight on the way to church. And then that second layer is, is nice, big, thick of cheese, church cheese. How you doing? Oh, great. How are you doing? Everything's fine. Uh, how was your week this week? Oh, just so blessed. Hmm. And then the third layer is another post-church fight. When you get back in the car, you're like, where did we leave off? Where were we? A triple-decker church fight sandwich. You know what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness, somebody? And you know what I'm talking about. You get to this, this place where you recognize the challenge because you can say some things and do something different and it, it undo the very thing that you said. We can come to church and affirm some things like uh, we should be compassionate, loving, non-judgmental, that we shouldn't judge or gossip. And yet if we go home and we, at the lunch table, tear apart another family in the church or in the community, or if we gossip, or if you speak to your spouse in language that is demeaning and then expect your children to grow up and behave any different than you are behaving, this is a life of incongruence. And nothing can destroy our witness more than living a life of incongruence. But nothing can strengthen your witness more, empower your witness more. Nothing can lay a sure foundation to your witness more than deliberately living a life of congruence. 
where you attempt to let the outside match the inside, the secret match the public, and what you see is what you get. Now, everything that I'm saying right now can be heard in at least one of two ways. You might hear what I'm saying here today, and you might find yourself encouraged. Because it may be that you're like, you know, I want to share my faith with my family, but I don't, I don't know how to start. I don't know when to start. I don't know what words to use. But at least I do know this. I am attempting to live consistently at home the way I live everywhere else. And so that is encouraging that I'm trying to live a life of congruence. And maybe God can do something with that. Like Teresa of Avila said, I don't always please God, but at least my attempt to please God pleases God. <laughs> And so maybe you're there and you're comforted because of it, but maybe you hear these words and you are disturbed inside right now because you are aware that you are living a life of incongruence. And you know that you're impatient at home, prideful, demeaning, maybe indulgent, and, and you, you, maybe you indulge in every kind of thing without any boundary whatsoever, any kind of discipline, and yet you know that we are being called to follow the one who wants to make us holy, make us disciplined, make us righteous, and yet we'll say those things in one breath, and then we'll behave in a completely different way. So what do you do if you find yourself at that crossroads, here's what I say we do. We remember from last week our ABCs. We just admit that we've got it wrong. We believe that there is someone who can actually make it right. And we confess that we will follow whatever that means and whatever that requires of us. And we get to a place where we pray, God, I recognize that I have power in my words. I can say some things in my family that could turn the tide, but I also recognize that I have more powerful evidence in the way that I live, and I recognize they don't match. So forgive me. And if you can, restore me. Show me how to live in a way where my walk matches my talk. And the thing I want to say to you is if you're in that place where you think, oh gosh, too much has been said. Yeah. Too much has been done. Too much has been seen. We've had too many conversations over the kitchen table for me to ever get to a place where I can bring up Jesus or faith or religion. I'm here to tell you that with this God, it is never, ever too late for your family to be saved, rescued, redeemed. There's a word we use in the church. It's called resurrection. That which is dead in this God can live again. That's congruence. But there is another word that, that I, I want us to consider today because even if we get to the place where we, we set the trajectory of our daily life in a way that matches what we say, we still are kind of anxious a little bit about how to bring up faith with our family, our kids, our spouse, our extended family. What do we do to say some things about coming to Christ. The second word is confluence. I just love that word. Kind of rolls right off the tongue, especially after congruence, Scott. Confluence, let me show you a picture. Take a look at this map. This is floating around the internet right now, and this map is a map that is being called, choir, you might want to crane your necks just to see it. These, there we go. It's called 
It's called the Veins of America. I find it fascinating because it is a, a different kind of map that shows all 19 of the river basins, the, the major river basins of the continental United States. And every stream, every tributary, every babbling brook that flows into the major rivers like the Colorado and the, the Mississippi are seen in different color-coded images here. And that is confluence. The definition of confluence is just this. The definition of confluence is the merging or flowing together of two or more rivers or streams. The flowing together of two or more rivers and streams. Why in the world am I talking about confluence on a day when I'm talking about sharing our faith? It's because this, no matter how strong the stream of your love is for your loved one, no matter how mighty the current is of your love and your desire for them to come to Christ, to know the Lord, there is another stream that all of your streams are flowing into, and it's the mighty river of God's own love for them, you are not doing this on your own. And maybe I just need to say that again out loud because somebody has brought anxiety into this whole process of how do I bring up my kids in the Lord? I mean, we see the louder milks and they're talking openly with their kids, but what if I don't know how to do that? The anxiety can subside, beloved, because your stream of love that you have for your own to come into the faith is in no comparison to the mighty river of God's own love that has been flowing toward your loved one from the dawn of time. There is one who loves them more than you love them. There is one who wants them to come around more than even you want them to come around. In 2 Peter, we hear these words. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He also says one of our favorite verses in Jeremiah, these words, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not your harm, plans to give you a future with hope. But Bill, leave that up there for just a moment, because if you change the pronouns of that verse right there, you can apply it to whatever family member you are concerned about today who is going through a thing, and you want to help them get out of this thing, you want to bring them to faith and to the Lord, think about this phrase and, and think of them. For surely I know, says the Lord, the plans I have for your son. I know the plans I have for your daughter, for your spouse, uh, says the Lord, plans for their welfare and not their harm to give them a future with hope. What am I trying to say here? God is up to something in all of us. And if we can stay aware and awake to the reality that God is up to something in our own lives, the presence and action of God alive within us, then we have to acknowledge that the presence and action of God is alive in them. And that God, because of God's own mercy, is attempting to bring them to faith on God's own. So when you begin to try to share your faith with your family, we... We're not leading, we're assisting. We are coming alongside a God who is already in the process of trying to use every moment in their life to wake them up, and you might be one of those moments. Can I show you how this, this works in my life? In, in fact, I want you to think about it this way. Put the next statement up on the screen there for a minute, Bill. The presence and action of God that is at work in you is at work in them. 
if we are awake to it, we get to join in. That's the beauty and mystery of it all. If we're awake to it, we get to join in. Can I show you one place where this was true in our family? Now, I've been waiting to tell this story for the better part of a decade. Now, I'm serious, but I never had his permission. I called Nathan. I said, can I tell the story about the thing? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, go after it. When Nathan, our college freshman now, was seven years old, we were living in a rental house in Orlando, Florida. He comes in one night and sitting on the couch, he says, hey, Dad, can we talk about something? I said, yeah, buddy, what's up? He said, I just wanted to have a talk, like a real talk. And I said, well, yeah, we can talk about it. He goes, you know, girls and, you know, kissing. And, you know, and I said, no, I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> now, let me break into this story for just a moment. Our entire life, we've always attempted to speak to our children like there are adults, knowing that they are not adults and can't expect them to be adults, but you speak to them in a way that raises the level so that they know how to speak to adults. Amen? And so all along, we've attempted to speak just candidly with them about all kinds of stuff. And we, we learned early on, when kids ask where babies come from, you answer the question they ask, not the question you're assuming that they're asking. Like when they're two and three and they say, hey, where babies come from? Your answer is God, okay, and they move on. When they make it to three or four, like, hey, I know that babies come from God, but, but like, Dad, how do they get there? And then you say, well, you know, a mommy and a daddy really love each other, and God gives them a baby, <laughs> and they're fine for a little while. So testing that theory with seven-year-old Nathan, I'm there, and I'm like, hey, so we're going to talk about, and, and he's like, you know, you know, stuff. And I said, oh, and you know, well, you know, what well, mom and dad really love each other. He said, dad, I want to talk about sex. Yeah. And he just put it out there. I said, oh, we're going to do this. This is going to be the talk. We're going to, okay, we're going to talk about it. All right. So we went back into the bedroom just to hang out, to chill out in my bedroom. He crawled up in the bed with me. We just sat and we talked and we talked about everything. I mean, we talked about everything. We, we put it all out there. We talked about our bodies and we talked about body parts and, um, and mechanics. We talked about the mystery of biology and how things work. By the end of that entire conversation, and it was a short conversation. I didn't know much. You know, so I was just telling what I knew. It was kind of a short conversation. Kind of, but you know, at the end of the conversation, it was great. It was all out on the table. All the right words, all the right systems in place. Right. And then I said, okay, but listen, I got to tell you this. Um, because, you know, mom and dad are, are Christians. And buddy, you know what that means? It means that we think about things differently than a lot of our friends and our friends' families. And when it comes to sex, mom and dad think of it differently because we follow Jesus. So mom and dad believe that sex is reserved for marriage, that when you get married, mom and dad waited until we were married. We want you to know this is what we want you to learn, and this is how we think of it. But the reason we think of it this way is because we, because we believe in Christ. We follow Christ. And we have these, these ideas based on following Jesus because we're Christians. And I went on about that. And he said, well, Dad, um, so when can I be a Christian? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, buddy. Laura, could you come in here for a minute? <laughs> All kidding aside, in that moment of raw, open vulnerability, and I'm talking to him about, we see everything differently. Everything from how we talk to our neighbors, everything from how we treat our teachers at school, everything from how we treat each other when we hurt each other's feelings. We think of all these things differently because we follow Jesus. And sex is just one more way that we think differently because of the way we follow Jesus. And he said, well, then I, when can I be a Christian? And I, I said, well, you can be a Christian when you decide that you want to follow Jesus and make all of your decisions, decisions that we hope he would make. When you want to follow in a way that lives like, like you think you would please Christ, if you want to give your heart to him, and Laura came in and he said, I do. And that was when he came to Christ. Right there, in the middle of a conversation about sex, there's a word for that. See? Confluence. That God is always at work with this mighty flow, this stream of love that is constantly working on the ones we love, constantly up to something in them. And then when you have a normal everyday, well, maybe not everyday kind of conversation like that we have, but when you have a normal conversation that is as earthy and as human and real as where do babies come from, who knows what God may do to bring out of that conversation faith I don't worry about what you'll say because you're not doing this by yourself in fact the Lord even said it this way he said don't worry about it he said the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need them so my prayer for you beloved is this this week may you come to some moment with your family in which you are overwhelmed by the opportunity and in that moment, may you feel a sense of comfort and presence that wraps around you like a warm blanket because you recognize you didn't start this and you're not going to finish this. You are joining your love with the mighty stream, the river of God's love that's been flowing in this person all along. And in that moment, may words just flow from you as naturally as a conversation about real stuff that matters. And in that conversation, may you both be transformed because of it. Can I get a witness? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we do recognize that this is a moment when, for many, even in this room or in this conversation, um, might find a great deal of strength, but others may find a great deal of struggle and because we come to a place where we recognize that our lives must be in sync with yours, that our words are never enough, that we must live a life of congruence so that anything we say about you matches what we're willing to back up with our words. But show somebody this day that we're not doing it alone, that we're joining you in your ongoing project to reconcile the world back to yourself. We pray that you would move in somebody today. Move in somebody in such a way that their lives merge with you, perhaps even for the very first time. We pray these things in the name of Christ, the Lord of life. Amen. <laughs>